Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN Fantasy Football Director. With me, as always, is PFN Fantasy Analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. And as always, you can find us at profootballnetwork.com, social media, these podcasts, Twitch, anywhere you need fantasy information. Uh, We are continuing to prepare for the 2022 season. It is a long haul. It is a worthwhile haul. We've got free agency fever. There's a lot of signings. There's trades. We're going to get into some of the basic fantasy implications. When I say basic, I mean we're not going to spend two hours with you. This is about 25 minutes. But we're going to try to hit hard on the key takeaways. How do the value shifts look after the dust has settled on what happened earlier this week? Uh, Cats, we're going to start with Russell Wilson trade to the Broncos. Obviously, a monumental move. And uh, we'll start a ripple effect of other quarterbacks signing and getting traded elsewhere. Um, and in terms of who's, who who uh, picks who in the draft, like this was a big move. What does it mean to Broncos receivers, specifically Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, not in that order, but still they have three terrific wideouts. And of course, Albert, Albert O picking up the reins at tight end. Uh, what does it mean for them? They were the, some of the most underutilized receivers in the NFL last season. They frustrated a lot of fantasy managers through no fault of their own. And now they have Russell Wilson. Is everyone on that team now easily draftable? And I'll go a step further, easily startable in most leagues. Yeah, I'm super, super excited for the Denver Broncos going forward. Last year, Cortland Sutton was one of my guys. I kind of died on that hill and literally died on the hill in the sense that Cortland Sutton finished outside the top 60 wide receivers. He averaged just 8.7 uh, PPR fantasy points per game. Uh, there were plenty of fantasy analysts out there who were, beat, were banging the Jerry Judy drum. And and I and I kind of had debates back and forth with them. Turns out we all lost because Judy wasn't any better. He averaged just 8.5 fantasy points per game. Heading into 2022, now they have Russell Wilson as their quarterback. And I'm really excited about the prospect of Russell Wilson finally being able to to throw the ball. This is this is a quarterback who has never had a 600 pass attempt season. He's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history. Yet he's just shackled by Pete Carroll and just an antiquated 1970s run-oriented offense in Denver. If Russell Wilson is throwing the ball, we could see Sutton finally reach the wide receiver one levels I know he can be and Judy could be right behind him. Is Tim Patrick still someone that people should be drafting as a strong number three receiver? 
in what could be a very, very friendly offense? Or do you think at this point, Patrick is more tertiary than I'm giving him credit for? I do like Tim Patrick, and I think the Broncos like Tim Patrick. That's why they extended him during last season, which was a curious move at the time that they extended both Patrick and Sutton with an offense that doesn't really seem to want to throw the ball. But now a new coaching staff, new quarterback. And I do believe Russell Wilson can support a third fantasy-relevant wide receiver. And I believe that also would be Tim Patrick. How relevant? I don't think he can be anything more than a wide receiver three in fantasy as long as Judy and Sutton are healthy. But you, if you can draft Patrick as like a wide receiver four, I think he'll have he'll have more startable weeks than not in leagues where you're starting three or more wide receivers. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Patrick's going to be a, a pretty good eight to nine point play most weeks and obviously on up if he scores. But he's going to be one of those guys who people should not sleep on, especially in deep leagues or best ball drafts towards the end of a draft, he's probably going to be available because people are going to be counting him out, looking at Judy and Sutton as the primary forces. What about Albert O? Um, I mean, Albert O clearly was starting to push Noah Fant last year. Uh, Denver, uh, uh, you know, gives up Fant in the trade. They keep Albert O. It seems to me that in that offense, Albert O would probably enter the season as roughly a TE 15, I would say. Um, and, and some wiggle room in there in terms of the streaming ability. What are your thoughts, Katz? Noah Fan is somebody that I've always thought was very talented, but the breakout never happened. We got back-to-back seasons of somewhere in the range of 65 catches, 670 yards in that area. But last season, when they, they, sorry, they drafted Albert O in 2020, he didn't really play much as a rookie. Last year, he started to play a little bit more, but it was still Noah Fant who was dominating snaps on a regular basis. By the end of the season, those last four weeks, he played 80%, 90%, 88%, 96% of the snaps. That goes to show how the Broncos have kind of used their tight end. But Albert O, when he got a chance to, to play, he had one game last season where he played 75% of the snaps when Noah Fant was out. In that game, he saw five targets. And now that he's the starter with Russell Wilson, I think we could see Alberto push toward uh, kind of a little bit more than what Fant was even doing with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Maybe something in the range of 80 catches, 800 yards, six touchdowns. If he can get to that 12 to 12.5 PPR points per game, he has a shot to be a top six fantasy tight end. And for those listening, keep in mind, if you're a tight end getting seven targets a game, you're among the elites in targets. Um, and so getting go, even going from five to six would put Alberto in that top 12, top 14 range, just in terms of volume. And after that, it comes down to, uh, you know, touchdown potential, uh, you know, cause a lot of times with these tight ends, we've talked about it before. Um, and I, I talked about it in a, a quick take, uh, a podcast a couple of days ago with Mike Kosicki and Dalton Schultz difference between two touchdowns and eight touchdowns is huge in fantasy, but if you flip it, it flips the entire complexion of what two tight ends can do. If the guy who gets two tu- two, if if Kasicki had gotten eight touchdowns and Dalton Schultz had gotten two, um, we'd be talking about Kasicki as a top three, top four tight end going into 2022. So Albert O in that offense really is a sneaky play. I'm not going to overcommit. I do think his his ADP is going to be around a 15. I think he could push to be maybe 11 or 12. I would be cautious about pushing much further at this point, largely because. I do think the running game, this is going to be the best running game that Russell Wilson has probably ever quarterbacked. And that's pretty bold to say. He's had some good running backs playing with him. 
But the fact is, if you've got, uh, you know, Javante Williams and if they re-sign Melvin Gordon, um, you've got a backfield tandem, presumably led by Williams over the course of the season. At some point, he's going to take over, um, who is going to help drive this offense. And so my question for you very candidly is Russell Wilson has always been a run uh, friendly quarterback, one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Let's call it what it is. He didn't rush as much as much last season. There was a clear drop off. Um, the question is, is that now a trend based on age or will we see a bump back up? Regardless, this is a very different quarterback situation for Denver. And I'm wondering how that could impact Russell Wilson having a better backfield and how it could impact Williams and Gordon having Wilson at quarterback. Should managers, fantasy managers, be at all uh, interested in any nuances to that? Or is this just talk? And at the end of the day, you draft Williams when you draft Williams, you draft Gordon where you draft Gordon, and Wilson's a top five quarterback and leave it at that. Well, if we remove Russell Wilson's 2014, where he rushed for 849 yards by far more than his career average per season. He's typically somewhere between that, that 400, 500 yard mark this past season, only 183 yards, but in 2020, just two years ago, 513 rushing yards. So I think Russell Wilson, I don't think he's done running. I think it's more of a circumstantial thing. He's not a deliberate runner. But he's more of a tactical scrambler where if a plate breaks down, he's not afraid to take off. I think we'll see him do that at a normal rate this season. So maybe somewhere in the range of 300 to 400 rushing yards. Now, what does this mean for Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon? First off, we don't know at this time if Melvin Gordon will be back. If right. Melvin is back, I'm very confident this is still Javante Williams as the lead back. It's not going to be like an 80-20 thing. You know, Javante had that game last season where Melvin Gordon missed it, and he played like 90% of the snaps. I'm actually going to pull it up right now because I'm, I'm curious myself. He played in that game 78% of the snaps. It was against the Chiefs, and he had 178 total yards, six catches, yeah. Uh, scored a receiving touchdown. That's the complete back Javante Williams can be. Now, if Gordon is back, the Broncos are not going to use him that way, but he will be the 1A. He'll be the lead guy. He will have, I would say, 60, maybe 65% of the touches. And what he loses in volume because of Russell Wilson and a better passing game, he can make up for an efficiency. This, this is going to be a better offense. I think the Broncos are right. going to score at least 10 more touchdowns as a team this year than they did last year. And if if even two or three of those go to Javante Williams, that'll make up for any of the rushing volume because every touchdown is basically 60 rushing yards. So if he's losing out even on, on maybe 150 to 200 yards that he otherwise would have gotten, he'll make up for that in touchdowns. He'll make up for that in, in receiving work. And I really think Javante Williams has top five RB1 upside if things break right this season. If things break right is the key. Uh, it could be one of those challenging situations where Gordon – is is alternating uh, possessions and people just want to see Williams break out, but that's not the way Denver wants to design it. Then again, they could decide they have what they need in Williams. They let Gordon walk. Uh, and suddenly you're looking at uh, a, a really tough situation. How high you draft Williams. Do you draft a number four overall, number three overall, number five, you know, how aggressive do people want to be? There's a lot of hype, obviously. And I would say that, you know, you made a great point, Katz. Uh, a touchdown is worth 60 yards. People need to think about that. People need to think about a Broncos offense that won't stall nearly as much as we saw when Bridgewater was at the helm. No offense to Bridgewater. Russell Wilson is the type of quarterback who will help keep the chains moving, even if it's on his own. And if that means that Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon combine 
for you know eight, 10, 12 more goal line touches, which is quite possible over the course of the season with a Russell Wilson-led offense, then you can make up those points if you're not getting the yards that you normally would have gotten. Um, shifting to Seattle Cats, uh, you know, I'm I'll be honest, I'm not in a dynasty league anymore. But if I had DK Metcalf or if I had Tyler Lockett, I'd be very anxious right now. And my thought to fantasy managers, to dynasty managers, managers is don't panic. Uh, you don't want to sell low on a Tyler Lockett in his prime, given what he can do on the field. You certainly don't want to sell low on DK Metcalf. Uh, he will have potentially a long and illustrious career, and you cannot look at 2021 as I have to make a move and sell him for way under his his value, which is a top 12 receiver value, especially in the right situation. So uh, right now it's it's caution. I'm pushing caution, but at the same time, there are these rumblings that Lockett could get traded. This could be a rebuild for Seattle. Um, uh, does Dwayne Eskridge, former, I think, second round pick uh, for Seattle, does he step up? and become a number two in an offense, even if that offense is led by Drew Locke. As a number two, could he suddenly be fantasy relevant? Uh, so my question for you, Katz, is what are your thoughts in terms of Lockett and Metcalf? If they stay in Seattle, are they both confident top 30 receivers, or can you not even say that they're confident top 30 receivers if Seattle doesn't upgrade a quarterback? Well, we have a little bit of a sample size of what these two receivers looked like without Russell Wilson last year. And this is interesting because it's it's funny when you look up certain things and you expect something and then see the opposite. DK Metcalf last season, 13.9 uh, points per game with Russell Wilson. 17.2 with Geno Smith. Tyler Lockett, though, 15.8 with Russ. 11.6 with Geno Smith. And that was not surprising to me at all because – Tyler Lockett is much more reliant on a precision quarterback. He's not going to just totally out-athlete uh, a defender the way Metcalf can. Metcalf is right. going to be fine regardless of his quarterback. Of course, better quarterback, better production. But Metcalf will be okay with whether it's Drew Locke or, or if they sign someone else or if they draft someone. Metcalf's going to be fine. And I think that Metcalf is more of a buy-in dynasty because – or not necessarily because, but if there's an overreaction – by a dynasty manager who currently has DK Metcalf, fearing what this might look like without Russell Wilson, go ahead and buy him. Metcalf is still 24 years old. He's got six, seven great years left in a minimum. Right. Their quarterback situation will not be as bad as it is in 2022 for the rest of his career. At least we don't think so. You, you bet on talent there. With Lockett, different story. Lockett's going to be 30 years old in September, and he's now going to have a new quarterback. I know you said he's still in his prime, and, and I agree. Lockett is still good. He's not done. He's he's probably got a good two to three years left in him. I think his skill set will actually age very well, but he needs a better quarterback. And if he's putting up 12 to 13 fantasy points per game, which is still even more than he did with Geno Smith last year, uh, that's a problem. But I don't know if you can sell him because everyone kind of knows that. So yes. it's, it's a very tricky situation. It's kind of like selling him when Wilson went down last year. It's a very, it's very hard to sell on bad news. Uh, people just don't want to hear it. Um, it's much easier to sell when the news starts getting better. Um, uh, perception is everything with trades. I will say this: uh, Seattle, uh, one of those games with uh, uh, when Wilson wasn't a quarterback last year, they played Jacksonville and they beat up on Jacksonville. 
And I remember looking at that and thinking, okay, that, I'm, I'm going to call that an outlier. It's kind of the Jacksonville rule. You know, if you're playing the Jags and you're, and you're not the Bills, by the way, because the Bills did get stymied by the Jag. But in most cases, uh, the Jags were an easy team to beat up on. I will say also that one of those big DK Metcalf games with Geno Smith, I remember was just kind of, you know, we could we could isolate these all day and it's not fair to do, but I'm going to say it, you know, DK Metcalf just got wide open and and Geno just threw it up to him and he caught what was maybe, I don't know, a 60 yard TD pass. And that was basically most of his points for the rest of the game. And I distinctly so, remember that game actually because I was uh, facing DK Metcalf and trying to dodge a big performance on Monday night to, to win my fantasy matchup, and he opens that game with with that with like an eighty yard touchdown, and yeah. I was very very concerned at the time, and then he went on and caught one pass the rest of the game. That's right. Yeah, it was it was like, it was like a seventy yard touchdown, and he caught one was, more pass. There was a, you know some some quarterbacks have statement games, others have statement statement throws. Uh, that was a statement throw for Geno Smith, but he didn't have really the statement games he needed to earn a 2022 starting job. And and Metcalf made uh, Geno Smith look good on that, uh, as receivers often do with quarterbacks. But in this case, it was a, a stark reminder that we can't rely on those fluky plays. Um, and the best thing to do right now is wait and hope uh, if you've got those guys. Um, and I'll say also for Noah Fant and, and Gerald Everett, it's really hard to understand how this is going to shake out. There's some people who have invested in dynasty in Fant, and uh, you know, they're hoping that they have a top 10, top eight tight end. It's going to be hard to see that realized uh, over the next year or two. Uh, maybe it will happen. Maybe Fant will break out in Seattle, but there's not a, a recipe for success that exists there. Um, he really is for me, uh, one of the biggest losers of this deal because he go, if he, if, if, if Albert O had been traded instead of him, and who knows if the trade would have gone through in that case, um, you know, then Fant would be sitting on potentially a TE5, TE6 preseason ADP. I mean, he would be a guy that people would be targeting. Um, and right now, it's really hard to trust him as anything more than uh, a streaming flyer. And that's hoping that he beats out Gerald Everett for the starting job, which he should. But at the same time, Gerald Everett is looming the last I checked. Um Cats, just shifting gears right now. Carson Wentz, news from earlier today, this afternoon, um, reported that a trade has been agreed to. Carson Wentz going to Washington Commanders. And um, I like the trade a lot for Washington. Um, I actually uh, think Carson Wentz is a much better quarterback than people give him credit for. Um, and one of the things that jumps out to me is that through the first nine weeks of last season, uh, he threw for about 2,200 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. He did everything the team asked him to do. Jonathan Taylor at that point, through nine weeks, had never had 20 rushing attempts in a game that season, had not hit 20. So this was still Jonathan Taylor utilized as a bell cow, but not a screaming bell cow. And Wentz was dictating the offense. And granted, with only one reliable receiver, <laughs> You know, T.Y. Hilton, Zach Pascal, Mo Cox, Jack Doyle. I mean, he had Michael Pittman. That was his major weapon. They underutilized Naheem uh, Hines. And uh, Wentz, I think, did more with that team than most could have done in those first nine weeks. And then the final weeks, it was all Jonathan Taylor. And Wentz just took a back seat. The offense was designed to be run heavy. 
Uh, and Wentz's numbers suffered. He still finished with 27 throw passing touchdowns and uh, seven interceptions from what I can remember, which is fantastic. It's a great ratio. So I don't see the knock on Wentz. I understand that that he's not he maybe he wasn't worth getting picked, you know, with one of the top two picks in, in the NFL draft back in what 2016, 2017. But he still is a terrific starting quarterback if he's in the right system. And I think if Washington beats up at receiver, if they can get a good number two, I'm not talking about Curtis Samuel, who I'm not trusting in fantasy. I'm not talking about Diami Brown. I mean, if they really get someone to help anchor with uh, Terry McLaurin, that passing attack, and if Logan Thomas can stay healthy or if they can figure out how to work that tight end to their advantage, they will have a very good offense uh, in a in a division where they should have some winnable games against Philadelphia's defense and the Giants' defense. They could easily win eight to nine games just with Carson Wentz with that shift. Okay, that's my talk. I think Carson Wentz is on the uh, top 18 QB map in fantasy. I think he's almost maybe a top half fantasy quarterback. And that means that as a streamer, I really like him, especially in bye weeks. Cats, throwing it to you. What are your thoughts? This is a situation where we need to be careful to separate fantasy from reality. Carson Wentz is a bottom 10 starter in the NFL. You cannot win with Carson Wentz. I think he's proved that time and time again. He makes too many mistakes in too many crucial spots. That's terrible for a real-life team. For fantasy, truthfully, I don't care. Because he, the production, the production, the production is all that matters, and he is going to have enough games where he produces to the point where I agree with you in that he is going to be a viable fantasy streamer. He might even teeter on that QB one two borderline to the point where there will be a stretch during the twenty twenty two season where Carson Wentz is picked up as a streamer, and most managers decide, "Hey, eh, you know what? I'm going to hang on to him. I think he's all right." He's going to have it. He has it every year. There's always a point where you're like, you know what? Let me stick with Wentz. I think he's okay. He's going to be yeah. a, a boon for Terry McLaurin, for Antonio Gibson, for whoever ends up being their wide receiver too. I still like Curtis Samuel as a player, but at this point, I have no faith in him to stay healthy. I never thought Diaby Brown was anything special. I thought he was just a, you know, a rotational wide receiver, four or five at best. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's going right. to be, which means that if Samuel can't stay healthy, you're right. They need someone. They need somebody else. They can draft someone maybe in day two. Maybe they sign a free agent, a solid guy that, that can uh, line up opposite McLaurin. And Wentz can definitely support two fantasy-relevant wide receivers. Uh, McLaurin should have a big bounce back year. How big? Depends on how, on how productive Wentz is. Depends on how much they throw the ball. Last season, Wentz only threw the ball 516 times, which also contributed yeah. to him having a low yardage total of just 3563. He's capable of throwing for 4,500 yards if they let him throw. And that will depend on right. how good Washington defense is on their matchups. And so there's, there's a lot of ways that Wentz ends up being uh, a useful quarterback for all the fantasy players involved this season. That that pass attempt uh, stat is key, Cats, because uh, the Colts, I think, were sixth lowest in the NFL in pass attempts um, last year. And a lot of that happened once Jonathan Taylor took over. And... Uh, you know, when you have, um, you know, if Washington uh, uh, retains J.D. McKissick, you know, if he's if he's back in the fold, assuming he and Antonio Gibson are driving that offense from the in the backfield, McKissick is a 50 reception threat. Um, even if he scales back, Antonio Gibson is a very versatile back um, and a good pass catcher, as he's proven. Um, Wentz has actually a is probably in a better fantasy situation 
arguably in Washington than he was in Indianapolis, especially when you consider that one of the worst things you can have in a fantasy quarterback is a quarterback who's not needed. <laughs> because if they're not needed, why are you starting them? Uh, a game manager is a fantasy manager's uh, worst friend. Uh, and so uh, in Washington's offense, it's hard to imagine Carson Wentz being a game manager. They didn't give up, you know, second, third round draft picks. Granted, one of the, you know, they got a second round back, but, you know, Washington clearly gave up more and they, they took on, as far as I know, uh, Carson Wentz's full remaining contract. They're clearly invested in Wentz. They like what they see in him enough where they're hoping, I believe, that his, he will be good enough to want to have Terry McLaurin want to stay in Washington and build that offense. Um, and so it's a big investment for Washington, but I think it's a smart one. I think he's probably the best quarterback they realistically could have gotten. And from a fantasy perspective, you're right, Cats. There are going to be times during the season, and it happened last season. We saw it with the Colts. In my league, Carson Wentz was a hot commodity first half of the season. Everyone knew they could get 16, 18 points by just grabbing Wentz. He had, I think, seven of his first nine games, he had two or more touchdowns, um, which is uh, you know, as good as you're going to get out of a quarterback that no one drafted. Um, so there's going to be a lot of similar talk. I think he's going to be a QB 24, QB 25, probably entering the season. He's going to be forgettable. Um, and he's going to be uh, a much better value, a great best ball pick at that price. Best ball is one of those cases where Obviously, all you need is a quarterback like that to get you five, six, seven good games, and he's worth picking up near the end of the draft. Wentz is that guy. He's going to get you five, six, seven good games. The big question is going to is going to be: Will he have three or four great games? Will he have three or four games of twenty-four plus points? And that's going to be for me. That all resides in whether or not Washington upgrades at receiver. Uh, Samuel might be the guy, uh, but I think the NFL draft is going to dictate how I view Wentz as either a top 14 to 15 guy or a top 17 to 18 guy. Right now I'm playing it conservative. And if Washington goes all in on a great rookie receiver, I'm going to push Wentz up in my uh, in my rankings. Cats, you get the last word. Any other thoughts on uh, on Wentz, on Washington, on uh, uh, or anything you want to say about McLaurin? Do you think McLaurin is now back to being a top 18 guy, someone you can trust, um, or is it too early to know? I want to talk about Wentz's long-term outlook here. Good. I think you brought up a good point about Washington and Wentz. And I know that they're going to take a lot of criticism for this deal because it seems like they're overpaying Wentz. But remember, he's under contract through 2024, but they can cut him after this season with no dead cap. So it actually, it's actually a really smart move by Washington because this 2022 situation, this isn't the greatest quarterback class. And the free agent quarterbacks available are not – they're mostly kind of failed starters, but but good backups who are looking for a second chance. Yeah. So you don't really have that guy that you you need that you can go sign and know that he can take you to a Super Bowl. So why not take a shot on Wentz, former second overall pick? He's still only 30 years old. Maybe it works out. And if it doesn't, then you cut him after this year and you you restart with someone new in 2023, which presumably is going to be a better rookie class. That's right. Could be better free agents available. Free agent class, it gives, right. right. It, it gives Washington just more outs and it doesn't throw away 2022. So I, so I actually, right. I actually like, I understand the move. I think it makes sense. Even if it doesn't work out, it's a chance worth taking. Very good. And, and for those who, who streamed Heineke, uh, Taylor Heineke last year, there were some games that Heineke played well 
with a, a deeply injury depleted uh, receiving core. So keep in mind that if you believe Wentz is an upgrade over Heineke, as I do, and if you believe that Washington's receivers will start week one healthier than how they ended it, which I do, um, it is fair to believe that Wentz is going to be better than people think. Um, and I really like what you're saying, Katz. You're right. For dynasty purposes, we're going to know probably by week 10, week 11, if Washington's looking to keep Wentz beyond 2022. If Washington is competitive, if their defense steps up a little more, if they stay healthier, and if Wentz is throwing uh, like a franchise quarterback, like he was four years ago, um, then uh, I think Washington will feel very lucky that they didn't give up more for a guy who can anchor um, you know, their, their offense for the next few years. Um, Katz, as always, a pleasure talking fantasy with you. Um, all of you listening, uh, we've covered some ground today. We'll keep doing it all week. Next week with these quick takes and with these longer takes that Katz and I do, trying to provide uh, actionable uh, intelligence on making fantasy decisions, whether you're drafting in best ball soon or whether you're in a dynasty league or you're waiting and drafting this summer as late as early September. Um, it is never too early to get some sneak peeks on the values of players because, again, if you know that a guy is worth more than what their ADP is, you've got an advantage over your opponents because you can get them and you know you're getting value. Fantasy drafting, fantasy management is all about value, and that's what we're trying to provide. So thanks again on behalf of Katz and myself, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. We will see you next time.